good news and good news. <laughs> the good news is that we have been blessed and God's presence is here. The other good news is that we finish <laughs> and get to, you get to go home. I don't, uh, not yet. <clears throat> um, as we continue today, uh, first I want to thank you and Sharisa and Justin and all the others for being so kind. I appreciate it all. I appreciate the gifts. Sure, if my wife was here, it would have been even better. <laughs> next time, next time. Um, <clears throat> it's amazing that we, while we preach and say we believe that Jesus is actually coming, we don't process what that means. Jesus is coming. You'll see events that you have never seen before. And our eyes will see him. It's beyond any type of human explanation or imagination, beyond anything that we can even think or, or describe or talk about. And we are going to live those moments. So it is worth to do whatever it takes not to deserve it, you never deserve it, only I do. Uh, <laughs> not, <clears throat> not to deserve it, but rather to be connected. Before we start, I want to ask you two things. Number one, let's have another word of prayer. <clears throat> and then number two, I'm going to take a parenthesis, and before I start, I will try to answer a couple of questions, not from you, but from what people ask me around. Okay, so let's bow our heads. Father, again, we thank you for Jesus. <clears throat> we thank you for your love. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your spirit. And Father, we ask that you'll be the one again to give us the bread that you know that we need so much. To touch our hearts and transform us and do what we cannot. May it all be for your glory, for your work, for your kingdom, we ask in Jesus' merits and name. Amen. People ask me questions around. I apologize, I cannot talk. I had long ago a surgery. I had polyps on my vocal cords. They cut them, but after they cut them, my cords do not come back together. So they had to inject something behind to push the cords back. And <clears throat> I could not talk for 14 days, according to the doctor, to let them heal Right after surgery, I got an important phone call. I answered, and then the whole day I was on the telephone. And next day, the same, and then he started to bleed. And so the doctor told me to stop talking if I want to heal. And so I came here. <laughs> but <clears throat> it's a... So I'm not trying to be rude when people ask me, and my voice is already terminated and I have pain. I'm just trying to give it a break, to let it heal, Okay. If you see me with this in my mouth, I'm not smoking. I've never smoked in my life. This is just a straw for voice exercises, if you know anything about it, that puts them back in place when they depart, the vocal cords I'm talking about. So if you see me with a straw, just know that I am exercising. <laughs> okay, let's get to some questions. People ask me on the hallways, on the grounds, how do you really surrender? I want to do it, but I'm not sure if I 
really want to do it. You follow me? Part of me says do it and part of me is resistant and then I don't know how practically to do it. Well, very simple. Ellen White says, I do have the quotations, we don't have time, it's in one of the presentations. She says, surrender is not a one-time process, but a one-time event, but a lifelong daily process. What did I say? It's a continual daily process. If you surrender today, it's good, but not enough. You need to do it tomorrow again. You follow me? And then she goes a little deeper, and this is what she says. She says that God would never ask us to do things without enabling us. And then she says that he would ask us to the level that we are, I put it in my words, to the level that we are, he would come down to our level and ask us to do something that he knows we can. And as we step out in faith and take a small, she says a small, a small, a small, a small step, and as we see how wonderful, how gracious he is, and how he works, we get to know him and to trust him, and then we feel confident to take another step. And then she says, and day by day, as we take step by step by step, we grow more and more and surrender more and more and know him more and more and trust him more and more. I put it in my words, there are several paragraphs that imply what I just said. I'm not going to go through the paragraphs. There are many of them. Each one says one thing of this. And so, basically, God is not going to ask you to instantly give up everything. But if you know anything about Pacific Islands, Hawaii and so on, when the Americans got long ago the islands, this is how they did it. They didn't get the whole thing. They got one inch, one little corner that they could get. And from there, they bombarded a little more, and then the army went and got another corner. And then they bombarded a little more, and they got another corner. And soon enough, they got the whole island. You follow me? God does the same. He's going to take one corner, as much as you are willing to give. And then, as you have a connection with him, a relationship with him, you are going to learn that you actually can trust him that he loves you more than you, you will ever understand. That he actually really loves you. He cares for you more than parents care for their babies. And as you learn to know him and to trust him, you will take another step so he could take another corner. You follow me? And so it's a lifelong process. And God wants you to make the decision today to give him whatever he would ask you. He would ask you today to take one step. Maybe wake up half an hour early and spend more time in prayer and study. That's not a big deal, is it? Even if you love sleep, you should love Jesus more than sleep. You follow me? So as he would ask you to make a decision and you do that, and you see how he blesses and how he works, then he will ask you another small step. You follow me? And as you do that, you don't see the growth because it is so small. It's literally nothing. It's one inch. Big island, one inch, doesn't really matter one inch. You don't see the growth. But as you take step by step, Without you knowing, two years later, you look back, you have been here, and you are here in your relationship with God. You follow me? And God is patient. Let me give you an example and then go to the next question. If you had babies or grandchildren or whatever, <clears throat> when they are small, <clears throat> they learn to walk. My granddaughter, she started to walk. First, she was crawling, and then she would walk only if you hold her hands. 
Just before coming here, one day before coming here, I noticed that I would hold her hand, and instead of both, only one, and she would hold it, but she was walking by herself. Eight months old. But she was so afraid, if I would drop the hand, she would sit down. She was afraid to trust. And I, I would say, no worries, Esther, I'm here next to you. If you fall, I will catch you. And she would just sit down. So what I did, she would, she, would need the, she would have the need to grab something. So I took a pencil and gave her a pencil and I held the other end of the pencil. She looked at the pencil, she tried it, and then she started to walk. And I was talking to her and she didn't notice that I released the pencil and she was holding the pencil. <laughs> and then she sees it and she sat down. <laughs> That's what God does. And I didn't get angry. Oh, you stupid kid. You don't trust me. Don't you know that I love you? I didn't get upset. I hugged her and laughed her. I said, this is so sweet. You follow me? Why would you think that God gets angry when you sit down? He hugs you and says, this is so sweet. Let's take another step. You follow me? If you love your babies, don't you think that God loves you more? A lot more than you will ever understand? So all you need to do is to learn to know him in order to trust him, in order to take another step. And he patiently works with you so you grow to the statue of fullness of Christ. Second question. Um, somebody asked me a pretty, pretty, pretty deep question. <clears throat> so you said, Pastor, that we need to put Jesus first and forget ourselves. What about our needs? Should we present them before the Lord? Yes or no? Oh, absolutely Yes. The Bible says cast. The problem is that we don't understand the word cast. It's ekbalo that is used in the Bible to mean when you cast out demons or rocks. Cast out demons or throw rocks when you want to kill somebody. And the translation means to throw something so far that you cannot reach it or take it back. So Jesus wants you to cast your needs upon him, not to talk about your needs, show them and put them back and keep carrying them. He wants you to throw them at him and then you cannot reach them anymore. They are not yours. You don't have them. You already threw them away and they are with him and they are no longer your problem. And you just need to make a decision to trust that he will deal with it because he loves you and he is able. And if you don't know how to trust, Ellen White says, and this is a powerful quotation in all of my sermons, you'll find it. She says, faith is not a feeling, is not an emotion. <laughs> I feel that I trust you. Faith is not electricity. You don't feel it. She says, faith is, quote, she says, a mind decision. <clears throat> <clears throat> My voice today is not as good as last night. I tell you why. Don't feel bad about it, or feel bad. It doesn't help me anyway. <laughs> I was in the cafeteria, and people want to talk to me, and I do want to talk to them. But the doctor said, if there is noise, and you talk, you'll try to talk louder to speak over the noise, and you'll push them more than you should right now. I did that. And right now, I... <clears throat> anyway... Back to the subject. When you throw your cares upon him, 
when you throw your cares upon him. You need to understand that faith, you will not feel it. Oh, I, 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 I want to trust him, but I don't feel that I can. You will not feel faith. It's not an emotion. <clears throat> faith, it's a mind decision based on his word. So what you need to do to rehearse his promise. He says in the Bible that if he cares for the flowers, he will care for me. I don't see it. I cannot explain it. I don't deserve it. I cannot do it. But I know he doesn't lie. So I'm going to make a decision, though it doesn't make any sense. It's absolutely impossible from a human perspective. This is absolutely impossible. I am at the bottom. I don't have a solution. Though from a human logic perspective, it's absolutely impossible. I make a decision to trust his love, his power, his promise. But what if I don't feel? You don't need to. You follow me? You don't need to feel. You need to trust his word. And as you make a decision, I'm going to decide to trust his word. And you know, humanly, it's impossible. You allow him to work. Because if you don't trust him, you are going to act yourself. Instead of do what the Bible says, wait upon the Lord. Those who wait upon the Lord renew. You remember? To wait upon, give him a chance to work. So many times, so many times, so many times in our life. When we decided to wait upon the Lord, he worked a lot better than what we actually desired or prayed for. He worked amazingly better. We don't have time for stories, but quick story anyway. We... We wanted, when we moved to, 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 for instance, to Kentucky, to buy a house in nature, because that's what the spirit of prophecy says, move out of the cities. She says, if Lot would have put his house outside the city, as Abraham did, he would have saved his family. And then she says, those from Jerusalem who left the city when the armies came were all Saved, but those who stayed perished. And she says, before Jesus comes, when the event, events and the crisis and catastrophes and economy and all this crazy stuff happens, she, she gives the stages, and we don't have time. That's in an, I have seven presentations on second coming. You can go there and listen. She says, those who obey and live and move outside the city, a short distance, so could they evangelize the city, but not to live in the city. She says, those will be spared. The others will expose themselves to persecution and hardship. And then she talks about not being able to buy or sell. And she says, if you don't have a garden and the stores will be empty and you'll not be allowed to buy and sell or you'll not find the food, how are you going to survive? I tell you how. When COVID came, others were wondering because Walmart was empty. I took pictures. The, the, the shelves literally empty. Literally empty. Not only the people could not find toilet paper. I really don't know why they would fight for toilet paper. But anyway, I would rather fight for food. But anyway, and so not only, but you could not find anything. Uh, people would not find eggs or milk or whatever they want to buy. There was nothing on the shelves. Me and my wife and our family, we had so much canned, 250 jars of zakuska. For whoever, it's kind of a bruschetta that we make from the garden. 250 jars of cucumbers, 200 jars of peppers, 200 jars, uh, 
literally about 100 bags of frozen green beans and about 200 bags of, and I could go on and on and on and on. And we ate and we gave to the neighbors and I took to work, we gave to, 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 to our uh, colleagues and we still, the next summer came, the next fall came, we harvested the garden and we still didn't finish except half from the previous year from our uh, freezers. So then, you know what you are going to say? Pastor, when the crisis comes, we, we move there and we are going to leave from your freezers. No, get your own garden. <laughs> when God created Adam and Eve, he could have given them a million gifts, yet he gave them a garden. Don't you think that he knows what he does? When I go in my garden, all my stress goes away. You may call me crazy. I talk to my tomatoes and love it. I take a tomato from, from right there from the plant. It has aroma. It's good. Not the ones that you buy. And, 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 and I, I show you, if, if you want, I have pictures. Uh, four pounds eggplants. One meter, over one meter uh, watermelons. Uh, you name it. Whatever you say, I have in the garden. Don't say mango. I don't. But then, uh, so, plain, uh, simple, rich, Tasteful foods, healthy, not processed, not, you know, you eat from the garden. It doesn't cost a penny and it's good. People get depressed. I go in the garden. I have no problem with depression. When I go in the garden, I smile and I, I sing. This is not a subject. It's not even the introduction. Imagine, imagine God gave you at creation a garden. He didn't give you a city. Get a garden. Jesus, all his lessons, parables are from nature. That's where you learn character. You follow me? Anyway, that's not the subject. I want you to say this, very important. When you cast your needs upon him, when you cast your burdens upon him, number one, you need to give it to him, not just talk about it and then keep carrying it. You need to give it to him and make a decision to trust him. Number one. Number two, there is nothing wrong to present your needs as long as you have the right priorities. Basically, God comes first, his honor comes first, his work comes first, and then your needs and yourself. You follow me? And we could go in a different time, if God allows, through a prayer seminar and go through these steps and prove it to the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Clear. Right now, we don't have time. So it's okay to present your needs. It is okay to have desires. Oh, I want you to tell you the story of the house. Pfft. Yeah, and so we are looking for a house with a garden. And that was a desire. That was a desire. And I said, Lord, I would like to have a house. Not big for me and my wife. I really don't like a big house because I don't like to clean it. But I want to invite the church because when we go to the board meeting at the church, people stay one hour and then they look to the clock because it's that mindset. You follow me? Business. When I invite them to my house and give them polenta, Romanian polenta, and then I give them a Romanian soup, a good borscht, and then I, we, we eat and then we talk and then we pray. People don't want to leave. I look to the clock, I want to kick them out and they don't want to leave. I mean, I invited them one Sunday morning at 9, and it was 10 p.m., and I was looking and wondering, Lord, can you do something so they go? <laughs> I love them. I'm just kidding. But anyway, 
but they do need to go, you know. <laughs> and so I wanted a house. I said, Lord, I want a small house, but I want a house big enough to invite the whole church over because that's where relationships happen. And I want a big enough property so the neighbor doesn't call the police because I took the whole street with cars or I had a bonfire. I want to be in nature to be able to have a bonfire and nobody bothers me and to be able to park cars. One time we had 176 cars parked on the hill in front of the house. The deacons who organized how the cars get in and get out counted them and said, Pastor, 176 cars. And I said, I want a house where people can come and pray. I want a house where the youth can come and pray. I want a house where the pathfinders can come and camp. I want a house where I can have a garden and I can plant trees and I can literally do what the spiritual prophecy says, Lord. But I don't have the money. Would you give me the house cheap? <laughs> so I told the realtor. And the realtor said, you are crazy. What you talk about? How many acres? I said, 50 or more. And the realtor said, and a big house and 50 acres and this and that and that and water, running water because the spirit of prophecy says that? I said, yes. He said, well, we talk about two millions. I said, no, all you can spend is 200,000. <laughs> and I said, I don't have that money, but the bank can give me 200,000. We prayed. We found the house. The house was that way. It was a foreclosure, foreclosed for about two years. And uh, the bank wanted 368,000 for it. 360, I believe 68 or 386, I don't remember, doesn't really matter. And we offered 200,000 and they got offended. They didn't even answer to our offer. They ignored us and moved to the next one. And so we moved to the next house and to the next house and it took 11 months of prayer. Lord, this is our desire. Can you present your desire before the Lord? Lord, this is our desire. And my wife and I talked about it and said, nevertheless, Lord, don't give us what we want. We talk to you as children talk to the parents but gives us, give us what would honor you and serve you and put us in a neighborhood where we can really reach the neighbors because you love those people. And we looked for 11 months, 11 months, 11 months, over 50 homes. The realtor got tired. I mean, if they had 10 people like me, they would go broke, you know? Another house and another house, and over 50 homes. And I said, no, it's not what... I House by house. How can you invite the church? Or li really little property. How can you have a garden? Or very expensive. I don't have that money. I don't want to go in debt. Uh, so on and so forth. After 11 months, I got tired of trusting God. I said, you know what? We just buy a house and that's it. And we made the decision to buy a, a house with 200,000 that has no property. It's in a neighborhood, you know, house by house. And I called. I said, that's it. I'm not going to wait for God anymore. And... Uh, we said we are going to make an offer today. We called the realtor, and my wife says, didn't you preach last Sabbath those who wait upon the Lord? I said, oh, leave me alone. <laughs> and she says, what about waiting for the Lord? I said, I've been waiting for 11 months. And she says, Abraham has been waiting for 25 years. I said, come on, you go and preach. <laughs> and she says, Moses waited for 40 years. Noah waited for 120. Didn't you just say in sermon that God answers, but not in our time? And we are going to ruin his plan if we don't wait? Oh, I didn't like my wife that moment. <laughs> so she says, let's pray. I said, you pray. <laughs> and she says, Lord, if you want us to buy this house, make it possible. If not, we give you our consent to totally ruin it, to close the door, so we cannot buy this house that he wants to sign today. We prayed. I called the realtor. We are coming. The realtor says, okay, see you 9 a.m. 
I get in the car and the altar calls and says, my father just fainted and dropped. I cannot come. I'm sorry. I have to take him to hospital. I said, okay. He called me at 11. When I took him to hospital, there is nothing wrong with him. I drove him home. I'm coming. By 12, I should be there. By 1 o'clock, we should sign the papers to get the house. Okay. I get in the car. The telephone rings. He says, my father collapsed again. I'm sorry. I cannot come. I get off the car. I said, oh, you are doing it again. <laughs> at 2 o'clock, the realtor calls. I took my father home from hospital. He is okay. Let's go. And then the realtor says, hold on a second. My home phone is, is ringing. He was in the garage on his cell, ready to come, so we go and sign the papers. He says, my, my home phone is ringing. He goes, he comes back, he says, Pastor, would you believe you got a house? I said, no, I am coming now. No, 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 11 months ago, that big house, 50 acres property, uh, nine bedrooms, seven bathrooms, that big house with the cabin for prayer in the woods and water, and you got that house. The bank gives it to you for 200,000. I said, what? Hold on, hold on. So we signed the papers for the big house for 200,000. And then we finished and we get the house. Couple of months later I go, after all the papers are done and the bank and the loan, da, 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 da. And when I go, Friday morning we move in, no furniture yet, we sleep on the floor Saturday morning, I get with my wife in the car and we drive from top of the mountain, 360 view, top of the mountain, the house, I can show you pictures, beautiful, from the drone, the whole property, just heavenly. We drive down the mountain, and long driveway to take you 20 minutes to walk it. Long driveway we, from 950, 60 feet to 300 feet, the, the height of the house compared to the road. We drive down the driveway, and as I get off the property, a truck, old truck, with a guy next to the truck, leaning on the truck next to my mailbox, and waves, stop. So I stopped, I said, good morning. He said, you are trespassing. What are you doing here on this property? I said, no, no, no. This is our property. We just bought it. We don't want you here. We the neighbors. We just don't like you. I said, what are you talking about? You don't even know me. We want a pastor here. I said, I am a pastor. He says, do you believe in prayer? I said, actually, I preach on prayer. He jumped. He gave me a hug. God brought you here. Thank you. I said... Hold on a second. I said, tell me the story. And he says, Pastor Schroeder lived here for 16 years. And Pastor Schroeder would go from house to house and pray for us. And the pastor, when I lost my wife to cancer, he prayed for me. When the neighbor lost his son to car accident, he prayed for him. He would go from house to house. He was the neighborhood pastor. Then he got retired, he moved to Florida. And the house was for sale. And the new family came and they bought the house. And they were in drugs and alcohol and parties and crazy music and crazy visitors. And we, the whole neighborhood, got together and we prayed that they would move away. And they lost the house and they moved away. And then everybody who came to buy the house, we got together, the neighbors, and we prayed that God would not allow anybody except a pastor that would continue to pray for us. <laughs> and then I talked to the bank. And the bank says, none of the people, 11 months that came, could get approval to buy the house. None of them were right to the finances. So we came back to your letter and we accepted your price. And so it took 11 months. Praise the Lord for my wife. <laughs> so folks, can you present your desires before the Lord? If you have the right priorities, if you put God, his honor first, yes, you can talk about your desire. Nevertheless, the Bible says you should say then, 
Not my will, but. And this is not a routine. Not my will, but please do my will. You need to mean it. Lord, I really don't know what I want because I don't know the future. So please ignore my will and do what you think that is best because you know things that I don't. And I don't want to regret later. You follow me? Okay, the last question that somebody asked me. Where do you talk about Jesus, being saved in Jesus? But shouldn't we do something about where do works come into place? Do works come into place? Yes or no? Absolutely. It's not, oh, Jesus loves you so you can do whatever you want. It doesn't say that. You know? And so where do work come into place? Because we are saved by grace, true. It's pretty clear in the Bible, at least in my Bible. We are not saved by whatever you do, you don't deserve salvation. Whatever you do, you cannot pay Jesus' blood and his sacrifice ever. Would you agree with me? Whatever you do in 20, 30, 50, 8 years, you cannot pay for eternity, infinite and infinite and infinite years, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You cannot pay for it. Whatever you pay, it doesn't really pay a drop of his love. So where do works come into place? If you cannot deserve salvation, what are works for? Well, let me just give you a parable and then we finally go to the sermon if we have time. Let me give you a parable. You are broke and I am rich. I am uh, Bill Gates and you are Jimmy Jones, okay? And you lost your house and your car broke and you have 60,000 debt in credit cards and you have 200,000 debt in school tuition and um, uh, you lost your job and you don't have food. Is it a pretty picture? Not really. And then it's, you live in Michigan. In Michigan, it snows like twice a year. Uh, each time about six months. <laughs> like in Chicago, the wind blows only twice a year, six months from the east and six months from the west. <laughs> and so you come to me, neighbor, and I open the door, oh, yeah, good morning, what do you want? Neighbor, I'm desperate. Give me some works so I can pay my debt. Give me some works so I can save myself. I need to pay my debt, and I need a house, and I need a car, and I need to survive. Give me something to do. That's what we do with God. And Bill Gates looks to you and says, uh, how much do you owe? Well, uh, 400, 500,000 for the house, 60,000 for school tuition, that's 560, uh, 30,000 in credit cards, that's uh, 590. Uh, my car is broken, that's another 60, that's so it's seven, uh, or no, 650, and, and you go on and on, and you say, well, together, $950,000, I am in debt, close to a million. And Bill Gates says, and you want to work to pay your debt? Yes. How are you going to do that? And he says, you don't have a business mind, do you? Please give me some works. Don't comment too much. Give me works. And he says, what do you want to do? Well, there, there was no tonight. I can shovel your driveway. He says, how much do you want to be paid? 15 an hour? He said, I'm going to give you 20 an hour. Okay. And you shovel two hours. How much do you get? $40. Whoa, wonderful. Is that works or grace? It works. Does it pay your debt? Pfft. 
is that it even help you to eat today? Am I right? <clears throat> you go to the grocery store, you need 200 to fill your trunk, or 300. You don't need 40 bucks. You, you need a lot more. So you say, thank you. You take the 40 bucks, and you come back in one hour. But it's not enough. Give me more works. He says, brother, regardless how many works you do, you will never be able to pay your debt or to survive or to make it. You need a gift of grace. No, you don't get it. Let me shovel your driveway. Hey, there is no more snow. You already shoveled it. Let me clean your house. I have a lady paid. She cleans my house. My house is clean. Let me work in your garden. It's winter. My garden is dead. <laughs> Let me uh, dust your uh, living room. There is no dust in my living room. Please give me some works. Whatever you do, you're not gonna, it's not going to help you. Wake up. No, please, please give me works. I need to do something. I really need, I feel bad if I don't. I need to save myself. I really need to do this and that and that. He says, you don't get it. You are so blind. You have no clue what you talk. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to prove it to you. Go and clean the house. And you go and clean the house. And there is nothing to clean. <clears throat> and you finish your work in five minutes. And you go to him to be paid. How much should you be paid? 20 an hour, five minutes, how much? Do the math, quick. Three dollars? I'm just guessing. I don't care if it's two or three. Three dollars. <clears throat> and he says, how much did you earn? And you get your calculator. Three dollars and 20 cents. He says, okay, keep a hundred. Ooh, is that worse or grace? It's both. Because you work for three dollars. That's what we do. Some of our members. God does a lot and I do a little. <laughs> Whatever little you do, the $3 is not going to save you. And Jesus doesn't need your help. He is able. And then you go back. Hey, it was wonderful you gave me 100 but really didn't pay my 900,000 debt. I could just buy food enough to survive yesterday. Would you give me more works? Maybe I get another 100 And he says, you poor man don't get it. Come inside. Why? Sit down. I don't have time. I have to do something. I have to do. Sit down. Why? Sit down. Okay. Let's talk. Tell me your life. I don't have time. Calm down. Relax. Tell me your life. And you talk two hours and you tell him your life. And then he says, now I'm going to tell you my life. And he talks two hours. And after four hours, he's, you say, man, I really, I didn't know you. I, I, I now like you. I, I feel that we know each other. We are friends. We have a relationship. He says, now I like you too. Now I understand you too. I feel that we have a relationship. And because I like you, and because you are not a stranger anymore, and because you are a friend, I'm going to do something for you. He takes his checkbook, and he writes $5 million. Are you happy with that? You don't seem happy. Okay, 10. He writes 10. He writes 10. Are you happy now? 20? How much do you want? 100. He writes a check of 100 million. Can you wrap your mind a check of 100 million? How much do you own? How much do you owe? 900,000. Let's say 1 million. And he writes 100 million dollars check. And you look to him and you say, are you playing games with me, man? This is not real. That's what we do with God. This is, this is not real. You are really playing games with me. I says, this is real. I love you. I care for you. You are a friend. I want to help you. I have the money. I have billions. For me, this is nothing. I'm going to give you a gift. $100 million. You say, come on, man. 
this is not real. And you get up and you go to the bank and you say, is this fake? And they check it. No, it's covered. Actually, it's a real check. And you are like, <laughs> and you say, real, is it real? It's real. Can you deposit fast before he changes his mind? And they deposit the check and then you go online and, <laughs> and you see the balance in your account. $100 million. <laughs> and you call your wife, honey, sit down. You had an accident? No. Did you do something stupid? No, sit down. Go online, put the password, go into our bank account. She says, why? You got more debt? No. And your wife goes and she instantly she starts screaming and she takes the phone and she calls her sister and calls her daughter and she calls everybody. Listen, you're, you're not going to believe we have $100 million. We are set for the rest of our life and our children and our grandchildren. We can live from interest. We never have to work again. This is amazing. And she goes on and on and on and on. She lost her mind. You lost your mind, you know. And eventually you stop for a second and you say, yesterday I was desperate and today I'm really rich. What have I done to deserve it? And you are impressed and you go back and knock in the door. And you say, brother, I don't know how to thank you. There is nothing I can do. Even if I work my whole life, let's suppose I live 100 years and I work every day and I pay every salary and I don't eat and I don't pay bills, I just give you all salary. In a lifetime, I cannot even pay one million, moreover, one hundred million dollars. I will never be able to pay you back. But I want to tell you that I will be glad to do anything for you, as you have done for me, not to pay back, but just because I love you. And you say, great, I don't need anything from you, but because I like you, I like to work together, I like, I like relationship. So I was about to go and put some straw in my garden to prepare the ground for the spring. Let's do it together. And you say, let's do it. And you say, by the way, if you want me, I, I, could, I could shine your shoes. If you want me, I can cook for you. And he says, no need. I, I want to do it. Why? Because I, 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 because I love you. I, I really want to do it for you. Why do you do that? To be saved or because you appreciate what he has done for you? Real understanding of the cross would lead you to joyful service, not to deserve anything, but based on love. Service is not a matter of earning salvation, but a response to the cross. Hello? Did you hear what I said? If you are not joyful to serve God, you have never understood the cross. Okay, we finished with the questions that people ask me. Let's go to the slides. <clears throat> you really don't have time, but anyway. Let's go back a second. We talked about prayer, revival, Holy Spirit, surrender, and we said that every single revival that has happened in history has happened when people got together and prayed in one accord, in unity, for the Holy Spirit. You remember this? Okay. What does the Bible say? If my people who are called by my name would humble, repent, turn around from their evil ways, put it in one word, repent, and pray, 
our answer their prayers and heal their country. The disciples, we said, they humbled themselves. You remember? Ellen White says they knew that they are unable to do it, therefore they humbled themselves in the presence of the Lord. They humbled themselves. They asked forgiveness to one another and to God. That if you put it in one word, they repented. And number three, they prayed for the Holy Spirit. That's the recipe. Well, let me give you an example. And now, finally, we start the sermon. So, let me give you an example. Italy is extremely, extremely, extremely secular. You may say they are Catholics. Yes, they are. But they hate the Catholic Church. If you go to Italy and talk to the citizens, they, probably 90%, 95%, I don't know, most of them hate the church. Why? Number one, because they are secular, they don't believe in anything. Number two, because by law, government law, state law, the Catholic Church takes 3% of their salary, every single citizen in Italy, and goes to the Catholic Church. And if you have a different conviction, different church, the law still takes 3% and gives it to the church you choose. But if you don't choose, it goes automatically to the Catholic Church. They hate it. And so, in Italy, in the churches, <clears throat> you find only two categories, elderly and tourists. That's it. There is no religion. Our church is very small. We have good members, good leadership, good people. But they struggle because of the secular environment. It's difficult to reach people that have no interest in God or church. You send them flyers, come to church. People don't even care about church. Nobody comes. And so in that context... There was, the story is long. The story is long. But I'm not going to give you the whole story because I don't have time. There was one old lady in the church in Bergamo. Bergamo is close to Milan. In Bergamo. A small church. A few members. About 40 members, but not all of them attending. In a good Sabbath, maybe 20 coming to church, 30. I don't know. I don't want to exaggerate. Don't call me on the numbers. A small church. A few elderly. They listened to the prayer seminar, they got together and they started to meet. How? Yes. Together, thank you. To meet together and pray for the Holy Spirit. And they met every morning. The story is long, I'm not going to go to details. They met every morning from 6 to 6.30. One of them, a lady called me, Pastor, we've been praying for two weeks and nothing happened. I told them, I've been going for two weeks to school and I didn't graduate either. I said, keep praying. Because the Holy Spirit cannot really come before you are ready. Because if God gives you the plan and you are not ready, you are not going to hear it or believe it or act on it. For instance, if God told Noah to build an ark when there was never rain, and Noah was not a man of prayer to know God, to trust God, to obey God by faith, would have Noah built an ark? If God told Abraham, sacrifice your son, and Abraham was not a man of prayer to know God, would have he obeyed? If God told Joshua, go around Jericho and walk. Are you crazy? Why would I walk? So they throw arrows and really kill us all? If God told Gideon, go to war, don't take a sword, by the way, take a trumpet and a light. Really? If God told Jehoshaphat, go to war and put the choir in front of the army, do you want to sing in the choir? When God talks... Is never normal. It always sounds crazy because God's plan is above your level of understanding. 
And unless you have a relationship with him, to know him and to trust him, you will not even understand, moreover, obey his plan. Therefore, it takes a lot of prayer so God could get you ready, so God could get the community ready, because when he gives you the plan, it's going to be big. If the plan is small, it's you. When it's God, the plan is always big. You follow me? It has to be big and crazy. If it's small and normal, it's your plan. It should not make any sense. Throw the wood on the water. What's the problem? And then the, 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 the iron comes up. It, it defies any human logic. Am I right? Yeah. When God talks, it's never normal. It's always big. In order for you to obey, you need to pray enough so God could transform you to the degree that you are willing to do whatever he says without questions. So prayer and answer takes time. God has to prepare you, has to prepare the community. And by the way, God works with stubborn people. So pff, it takes time. So saying that, the lady called me, how long should we pray? I said, lady, pray until you are ready for God's plan. Because the reason we don't see miracles today is not because God has changed, but because we are too focused on self and too small in faith, and we never have the perseverance to keep praying. We just stop after a month. Well, you know, I, 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 I don't know if I should keep praying. Nothing has happened. Yes, has happened. You just don't see it. The angel Gabriel talked to Daniel, and the angel said, when you started, not when you finished, when you started to pray, I started to work. But it took three weeks. That's the fastest answer, you know, three weeks instead of 40 years, you know. It took three weeks because I had to fight the kings of Medes and Persians. Am I right? So God was working. Daniel didn't see it. Because you don't see it doesn't mean that he doesn't work. He's working on it. So you need to keep praying so he could keep working. And when you are ready, and they are ready, and everything is ready, then God is going to deliver the answer. But he has been working all along on it. Do you follow me? Yes. And so, I told the lady, keep praying. They said, oh, okay. So they kept praying, and they kept praying, and they kept praying, and they kept praying, and they kept praying. A month, two months, three months. I remember I talked to her one more time and she said, Pastor, we don't see any results, but we do see some results that we didn't expect. We expected miracles. We expected this. Didn't happen. But we see our lives changing. We see our church, since we pray together, getting united. We see our families behaving differently. Because when you pray, Satan has no more access to your family. It puts a hedge of protection around your family. God's presence is there. We see changes in our families. So right now, we want to keep praying. Though we don't see any miracle, don't hear any thunder or any voice, or, but we think we should keep praying. I said, praise the Lord, finally. You know? And then, I knew nothing. Years later, years later, I go to Czech Republic, and I'm in Prague, and I'm at the division meetings, and I speak, and then one of the division uh, people coordinator of the Sabbath school and family and so on and so forth. He says to me, Pavel, you know what happened in Bergamo? I said, nope. He says, well, that group that were praying, no clue. Oh, you got a phone call. I get a million phone calls every day. If I would remember everyone, I would be a computer. He says, well, they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and this is what happened. One morning, a neighbor came from across the street and says, folks, what are you doing here every day at 6 a.m.? You used to come Saturday mornings, but now you are every day. I work night, night shift. When I come in the morning, I have no room to park on the street because of you. 
What are you doing here every morning? Come Saturday, so when it's your day, that's it. And the lady says, we pray. Oh, I don't believe in church because they take our money, but I do believe in prayer. Would you pray for my wife? She was diagnosed with terminal cancer last stage. The doctor gave her a few weeks. We went too late. The cancer took over all her body. She is eaten by cancer. Would you pray for my wife? Sure. They prayed. They kept praying every day. A week later, the man comes to his wife. He says, we want to be baptized. And they say, but, but we don't eat pork. Oh, it's okay. I eat whatever you eat. But we worship Saturday. Oh, I know that. I worship whenever you worship. But, but you don't know the doctrine. So oh, I'm going to learn them. We just want to be baptized. But why? And he says, well, I took my wife yesterday to the checkup. And the doctor said, what have you done? You are cancer free. And he says, we've done nothing. All I can think about is that you guys meet faithfully every morning to pray. So we, we are convinced that God's presence is in this church compared to the others that have only theory and money and politics. You actually have God. And do you want to be part of it? But the man from the division told me, this neighbor... Talk to the next neighbor that your friends. And the next neighbor came next morning, 6.30 a.m. said, my kids are in prison. Would you pray for my kids? And that neighbor, the word of mouth, talked to another and another. Six months later, every morning at 6 a.m., there was a line of people going around the block and around the block waiting to be prayed for. The city was coming to the Adventist church every morning to be prayed for. My house shall be wouldn't that be beautiful if your church was known as the church that prays for the city? Do people know your church? What does it stop you to actually get together and pray for the city, for the neighbors? For the, what the, who stops you except comfort? No offense. If you are offended, I will pray for you. <laughs> who stops you to go to church? To get together, two, three people. You don't need the whole church. You'll never get the whole church. Illinois says in Testimonies, Volume 6, you'll never get the whole church. Don't wait for it. God will not make you responsible for the other. God will make you responsible for you. Get busy praying. Who stops you to pray? Hello? You are quiet. You don't like it anymore. You like the story, but you don't like to do it, huh? And so, the next neighbor and the next neighbor, soon enough, two years later, they had 400 members in the church. That's not in Africa. That's in Bergamo. Many years later, they planted three other churches because they had no more room in their building. Altogether, four churches. Because a group of people was praying every morning at 6.30. Is it possible in our days? Oh, absolutely. Now, don't look for a miracle. Don't look for an answer, for a thunder, for a, for a voice. Don't... Look for God's voice, for God's, not for God's, I'm sorry. Don't look for God's voice. Don't look for God's miracle. For, don't look for healing or look for God's presence, I want you to say. Look for God's presence. Look for God's plan. And then he will do whatever necessary. In this case, he will do this. In that case, he, will, he knows what is necessary to reach people that are lost. You follow me? Well, every single revival has happened when people get together and pray. Listen. George Mueller, how many of you have heard of him? Yes, exactly. George Mueller, he was in England. Uh, <clears throat> if you know his history, he was an alcohol, uh, alcoholic, a drunk. And one day, 
passing by a church. The story is long. He learned and then he got a book and he read and then he read from the Bible that Jesus died for sinners. And he said, Jesus died for a sinner like me? And he stopped and he says, it took me a few seconds to process that God died for a sinner like me. And he says, it, it got me. And I said, if he died for me, I want to live for him. And he decided to do whatever God says. And he started to wake up every morning and he would ask God to wake him up. And God would wake him up like 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. And he would spend time in prayer more and more and more and more until God started to lead him. And he would not hear a voice, go to the left, now go to the right. But God talks through his word. God talks through providence. And God would close doors and open doors and so on and so forth. And God would lead him to the degree that he realized that God is impressing him to start an orphanage. And he started with a few kids, and he got to how many? Who knows? 10,000 children. That's, I'm sorry, that's the building. You know that building in, in Bristol? It's called Ashley Down Building. That's the building. He never had money to pay for it. He received it as a donation. When the war came and the German... German's airplane started to drop bombs. The whole city came, Bristol, the whole city came to this building. And he asked them, why do you think that the bombs will not drop on this building like any other building? And they answered, we know that God lives in this building. Wouldn't it be nice if the city would say, we know that God lives in this building? Huh? Because he decided to wake up every morning and pray for God's plan. When God gave him the plan, save the orphans, he didn't say, but I don't have money. If God says, go, if he gives you the plan, not you make the plan, he will provide the resources and the blessings and so on and so forth. You just need to be connected because my God doesn't lack resources. My God has, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can tell somebody, go and give them the building. Period. Another example. <clears throat> Fent Shuyen. Now, you don't know who that is. I don't know either, but anyway. The lady was, is in China. She says, I've seen the Lord, the, the love of the Lord, which the world cannot perceive. And it got my heart to the degree that I want to live for him and sacrifice everything joyfully for him. I've seen the love. I've, I've grasped a drop of the love of God. And that really is beyond what Paul says. And to know the love of God that surpasses. How can you know something that surpasses human knowledge, surpasses human understanding? That's so big. Anyway, this lady prayed started to wake up every morning and pray for God's plan. And she started to have a relationship with God. And God didn't give her the plan. And she was just impressed somehow to do something really small and stupid. She took a bread. She made, instead of one bread for her family, she made two breads. How many of you know to make bread at home? Exactly. Somebody gave me a bread. It was good. I ate it. I will never refuse a bread. Homemade bread? Pfft, heaven. She made two breads. She went to the neighbor, literally, knocked in the door. Neighbor, 
Good morning. Good morning. I made two breads. They are absolutely amazing. Look here. I want to give you one. Oh, really? Thank you. She says, can I pray for you? Uh, okay. What do you want me to pray for? Uh, pray for my whatever, you know. She prayed, left. Two days later, hey, neighbor, I made bread again. Did you finish that bread? Yes. Do you want another one? Well, it was really good. Okay, let me pray for you. Bye. Is that difficult? You can do that, can you? If you don't know how to make bread, buy cookies, unhealthy cookies. It's okay. Go and give them cookies. <laughs> give them tomatoes. Give them something. Next day again, and then she went to the next neighbor, and then she went to the next neighbor. Eventually, she went to the whole neighborhood. Every day, giving two, three breads. Every day, and praying with people. A few months later, she invited after building relationships. You know, Christ method alone. He first mingled with them and ate with them and cared for them and built friendship. And then he said, follow me. <clears throat> she built friendship. You'll never bring a stranger to Christ, but only a friend. She built friendship. And then she says, Hey, guys, what if we have a prayer group that we pray for one another? And they said, we all have problems. We have diabetes. We, have, we lose jobs. We have this and that problem. Let's do that. And they, if she would have invited them to church, probably they would have said no. But she invited them just to pray. And she has already been praying for them. So there was nothing new. So they got together in her house, a few neighbors. And she started to pray for them and said, now you pray for me. Oh, I've never prayed. That's okay. Just say, Lord, help. You know. And they started to pray. When people start praying, something happens. And they started to pray for one another. And the group grew from 10 to 20 to 30 to 150. And she had no more room in her house. So she said, Lord, the group has 150 people now. In my house, I cannot really host so many. And God said, sell the house. What am I going to do? Trust me. She sold the house. And then she found a house that was like four times bigger, four times more expensive. And she said, I cannot afford. And God said, Make an offer with the money you have. She made an offer. They said, absolutely not. Why do you want such a big house after all? Well, I have a prayer group, 150 people who get together. Oh, you know what God has done for me? I'm going to give it to you for that money. She got a big house. The group increased from 150 to, two, to 250. Eventually, more and more and more. Listen what 6 Testimonies, page 90 says. The Holy Spirit will come and answer to all that ask for bread, not for themselves, but to give to the neighbors. The Spirit will answer to all the task. Why? To give it to the neighbors. Now, this is a small example. Let me give you a big example. This is a big example. Listen, this lady, Hoi Big One Church, started with a few ladies, a small group, really, really small group. She said, let's pray in the morning. What? What for? And she said, well, all revivals happened with two, three people praying. Two, three people praying. Think about Edwards. Think about, I could give you names. I have it in my presentation. We don't have time to do it today. Started with one, two people, and then the whole England praying, and then the whole New York praying, and then the, you follow me? She says, let's pray big Let's pray for our city. Let's pray that we are going to reach the whole city. And they got together and they started to pray. But they said, hey, we have jobs. At 6 a.m. we go to work. I said, okay, let's pray at 4 a.m. <laughs> it takes commitment. How many of you are willing to come tomorrow morning here at 4 a.m.? 
You may. God bless you. I remember when I got my first district in America, it was in Wisconsin. It was winter. It was bitter cold. Minus 50. And I talked to the church. How many people were in the church? I remember that Sabbath there were nine people. My family, four and another five old ladies. The oldest was 92 and the youngest was 76. Depressing. I didn't want to preach. I said, only to, to five ladies. And the 92-year-old lady says, Pastor, we pay tight, so you better preach. <laughs> and I said to my wife, it's so depressing. This church, 20 people come in a good Sabbath, five people in a bad Sabbath. I don't even feel I should be in ministry. And my wife says, why don't you do what you preach? What? Pray. I said, what to pray for? For a dead church? I said, well, God can resurrect the dead bones. Can he? And she says, why don't you ask them to come in the morning and pray together? I said, they are not going to come. I asked them, would you pray together to God to resurrect our church? And the old lady says, when? In the morning. Oh, I cannot sleep in the night anyway. See you tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., pastor. I was hoping that she says no. <laughs> in the morning at 5 a.m., I woke up. I got in my car. It was so cold. My hands froze. My nose stick together like and so cold, I basically, by the time I got to church, the car finally started to warm, but then I had to turn it off. And when I got after prayer back, the car was cold again. I hated it. And I had to go every morning at, at that bitter cold at 5 a.m., wake up to be at 6 a.m. at the church for five ladies. After a month of prayer, I was hoping, I said, okay, we did a month. Can we stop? And the 92-year-old lady says, my kids will never talk to me. Now they talk to me. Let's keep praying. Three months later, our church had 120 people in attendance. We didn't do evangelism. Five ladies. We didn't do Bible studies. We just prayed together. And more and more and more and more and more started to come. Back to the story. They got together at 4 a.m. At 4 a.m. At 4 a.m. That's commitment. And they prayed. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed from four to six, and they went to 100 members, and then to 200, and then to 300, and then to 2,000. And they said, what if we increase? And they prayed from four to nine. Now they could not say because they had work, but some people would come, some people would leave. Some people would come, stay half an hour, leave. And between four and nine, they were coming and leaving and praying that God would revive the city. And more people, 2,000 and then 7,000 members and then 20,000 members. And then they kept praying, 150 people praying every morning from four to nine. And they planted 380 churches. Would the conference love if every member here would plant 380 churches? Don't tell me that it's not possible. Nothing is impossible with God. They asked her, what is the reason for your success? And she said, I've seen the love of Christ. I've prayed for the Holy Spirit. It's not us, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's revival. It's outpouring of the latter rain. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Think about this. This is one really good story. Our time is up. We need to finish. This is really, really, really cool. This is in Vietnam. They had a small group, not even a church, meeting in this man's house. And they said, man, all our kids work in the city 150 kilometers away. 
None of our kids are Adventists and there is no Adventist church in the city. There is no Adventist member, there is no Adventist presence. What do we do for our kids? Now, what city is 150 kilometers from here? More or less? Okay, if you hear, pray for that city, how does it influence the city? Because it's not here, it's there. You follow me? They started to get together every evening and to pray for that city where their children were working. And they prayed a day, a month, two months, and nothing happened. And they kept praying, they said, we will not give up. And they prayed, and they said, you know what? Prayer is good anyway, so let's keep praying, period, without an answer. And they kept praying, and eventually, an old lady, terminal cancer, in the last stage, dying, got baptized. And they got really frustrated. God, why didn't you baptize somebody young that would go from door to door and do Bible studies and do evangelism? Why do you baptize a lady that is sick, is going to die tomorrow, and then again we have no members? And one of them says, really, God's plans don't make sense for us. Let's trust in him. So they keep praying, but then they said, we need to take care of our members. We need to take care of the lady. So they called the neighbor of the lady. Hey, she has cancer. She is bedridden. She cannot even walk. We are going to pay you per hour. Can you go and feed her? Uh, how much do you pay me? So much. What do you want me to do? We want you to wash her, to do shopping, to clean the house, to feed her, and to read the Bible for her. Oh, I don't believe in the Bible. I am agnostic. I, I don't believe in anything. I don't believe in God. We don't care what you believe. It's a job. We pay you per hour. Ah, okay, what do you want me to read? Promises. Where are they in the Bible? Psalm? Where is Psalm? In the middle. Okay. What Psalm do you want me to read? 30. Where is it? After 29. <laughs> Next week they call her. Did you go? Yes. Did you wash her? Yes. Did you do shopping? Cooking? Yes. Cleaning? Yes. Shower her? Yes. Feed her? Yes. Did you read the Bible? Uh, no. Why? Because I don't believe in God. I just this stupid. The nonsense. I... We pay you, it's a job. The lady is dizzy, dying. She cannot read for herself. You need to do it for her before she dies. Okay, I'll do it. Next week, the lady died. The doctor comes to take her to the morgue. They analyze her. Yeah, she's dead, no pulse, no, ta -ta 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 -ta, no vitals. Ta. And the doctor says, let's take her. And the neighbor says, no, why not? I forgot to do the ritual. What ritual? You know Catholics do the, uh, the, the mass before people die. Muslims do this and that. Adventists, <coughs> they, they read Psalm 30. <laughs> they told me to read because she's dying to read Psalm 30. And I forgot to do it. You cannot bury her before you do the ritual. And the doctor said, okay, do the ritual. And then we take her to the morgue. And the lady starts reading Psalm 30. And Psalm 30 says... Psalm 30 says, beautifully, beautifully, beautifully. What does he say? Listen carefully. You, Lord, brought me back from the dead. What is gained if I am silenced? Can the dead praise you? And she's reading Psalm 30, and the dead lady wakes up. And the lady says, this ritual has power. And the lady goes to the next house, let me read the ritual. This is going to heal you, it's going to resurrect you, it's going to change you, it's going to transform you. This ritual, this book has power to transform. This power can lead, give you life, can heal you, can save you. This, I've seen with my eyes. This, and she would go from house to house in the city and read Psalm 30 through homes. 
I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen the dead resurrected. This has real power. Let me read it for you. And she, agnostic, would go from house to house. Over 200 people baptized. Because a group was praying where? 150 kilometers away every day. Our time is up. We need to finish. We really need to fi- Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> but listen, folks. We are not going to go through the stories anymore. We are not going to go through the stories anymore. Now, nah, we got to finish. I'm hungry. <laughs> read it. Read it. Read it. Stop it. Our true confession, you remember what we said? Humility, you remember? Repentance and prayer. Do you see it? Plain? Keep reading. Pretty plain, isn't it? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the days of the apostles was the former rain. And glorious was the result. But the latter rain will be? Isn't that beautiful? To us today, as to the first disciple, the promise of the Spirit belongs. Who says amen? amen? Listen, in giving the Holy Spirit, it was impossible. I didn't know that there is something impossible for God. <clears throat> impossible for God to give more. To this gift, nothing could be added. By it, all needs are supplied. The Holy Spirit is the vital presence of God. In the great and measureless gift of the Holy Spirit are contained all heavenly resources. It is not because of any restriction on God's part that the riches of His grace don't flow to us. If we are willing to receive, we all will be filled with the Spirit. <clears throat> this promise... Claimed by faith would bring all other blessings, all, all, all other blessings in its train. Since this is the means by which we are to receive power, why don't we hunger and thirst for the Spirit? Why don't we talk about it? Why don't we pray for it? Why don't we preach about it? The Lord is more willing to give, listen, for the daily, daily, say the word daily, say daily. It's not enough to do it today. You've got to do it daily. This is like breathing. It's for now on every day. For the daily baptism of the Spirit, every worker should offer his petitions to God. Companies of Christians should gather together to ask for this. Especially they should pray that God baptize his workers and the church with a rich measure of the Holy Spirit. What should we do? Gather together and... <clears throat> The reception of the Holy Spirit in its fullness is the great need of the church today. There is no limit to the usefulness of one. We did read this before, didn't we? The Lord is not glorified by tame supplications which show that nothing is expected. The time has come for a true reformation to take place. When this reformation begins, the spirit of prayer will actuate every believer and will banish the spirit of discord and strife. Isn't that nice? 
near the close of earth harvest, a special bestowal of spiritual grace promised to prepare the church for the coming of the Son of Man. This outpouring of the Spirit is likened to the falling of the latter rain, and it is for this added power that Christians are to pray. What we should pray for? Listen, if there was ever a time when we need the working of the Holy Spirit, it is now. Listen, folks, we can continue. I have paragraphs plenty. <coughs> we don't have time. One interest prevailed. I jumped right now over, like from slide 20 to 30 to slide 51. One interest, one interest prevailed. What means prevailed? had priority. One subject swallowed all others to be like Jesus. And so God desires his servants today. But until they receive the Holy Spirit, they cannot bear this message with power. Do you understand? It's so plain. To us today, the promise of the Spirit belongs. All that the apostles did, every church member should do today. Isn't that big? Peter walked on his shadow, would go over sick people. Every church member, oh, wow. <clears throat> Christ has promised the gift of the Holy Spirit to his church. He has promised, and the promise belongs to us. The outpouring of will come again with the manifesto of the same power, but in greater extent to finish the work. Oh, we stop there, because this is the next presentation. <laughs> in the next presentation, I show how it happened with our pioneers. It's absolutely amazing, the parallel between the disciples and the pioneers. Same story. When Jesus didn't come, they humbled themselves, they confessed, they repeated Jesus' teachings and the prophecies, they prayed for the Holy Spirit, they listened carefully. When the Holy Spirit came, illuminated them to understand the sanctuary and to understand, she says, that Jesus was God and he died for us. And then she says, when they understood that, our pioneers consecrated everything, no sacrifice was too great. And she says, the work spread throughout the world. Isn't that beautiful? And then it shows in the presentation the revivals that happened since all through prayer and how they stopped when people stopped praying. We, are don't, we don't have time. I'm going to finish here with a story. Probably you have heard the story before. I have many stories and I have no more time and I'm hungry and my voice is tired. In 1977, <clears throat> and you probably heard the story, but it really goes really well with the subject. In 1977, March 4th, or April 4th, March, March, March 4th, there was an earthquake in Romania. 6.5, 6. no, 7 point, I don't remember. Who remembers? Is any Romanian here? It's okay. Extremely strong earthquake. I believe it was... 6.7 or 7.6, doesn't matter. Really strong, one minute and 15 seconds. It moved this way and then this way and then this way again. Many, 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 many buildings collapsed. I've seen building that half was rubble and half standing and 
a human arm without the body on the cut on the concrete. <clears throat> Terrible scene. When the earthquake started, we lived in a taller building at the fourth story, at the fourth floor. When the earthquake started, you could hear the building cracking, you know, and started to throw us from one wall to another. My mom started to cry. We are going to die. Jesus, please, if I have sins that I didn't confess because I forgot, please forgive me. If I die, I want to be saved. My father said, honey, you don't solve these problems in the last moment. You solve them every day. My father started to sing. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me, huh? myself. My mom says, how can you sing? I said, just open the mouth and it comes naturally. Somebody started to bang in the door. Mr. Goya, open the door. During the earthquake, my father opened the door. The next door neighbor, Nutsika and Mitika, basically Eleonora and Mike. I just told you their nicknames in Romanian. Mr. Goya, can you come in? My father said, why? Because it's earthquake. Why don't you run down the stairs like everybody else? Well, the, the stairs can break with so many people running. The building can collapse. Why don't you go outside? If I go outside the building, there are so many tall buildings, there is no place to run. The buildings are going to fall on us. Why, do you, why don't you stay in your apartment? But, but it's going to collapse. But my apartment is next to yours in the same building. If the building collapses, we all collapse. And she said, Mr. Goya, we know that God lives here. We all know. When we fight, when we scream, when we listen to crazy music, to movies, we hear you singing and praying for the neighbors. You go from door to door, give people honey and food, and you pray with them. We know that God lives in your apartment. And she said, I will never forget these words. Heaven is here. And she said, if there is a safe building, if, if there is a safe place in the building, it's here where God lives. Can I come in? My father shook his head, come into heaven. <laughs> and he, he said, let's sing. We don't know the song. Well, the earthquake stopped. My father had a prayer for them. And then he took them like this and said, listen, don't you wait for the crisis to invite God in your home. Invite him today, every day. Because if God is in you, when the crisis comes, you don't need to panic. You are ready. Folks, what are we waiting for? The crisis? Look around, the crisis is here. What are we waiting for? God didn't ask you to jump off the building. God asked you to get together and pray. Doesn't cost anything except to get out of your comfort. I was talking to somebody, a group of pastors in a very, very advanced country. I cannot tell you the place. Good people. Very, very, very advanced. One of the most advanced countries in the world. And, and I said, why don't you pray? And the pastor said, you want me to be honest? I said, yes, I would expect you to be honest. He said, I am afraid to pray. I said, why? Because if I pray the way you say, I'm going to change. And I'm not sure I'm ready for it. And then he said, if I pray and surrender, God may have a plan for me that I don't like. I may have to move or do something that is not comfortable. I may have to step out in faith. I'm not sure I'm ready for it. Why don't we pray? <clears throat> Either we are lazy to wake up. 
or we are too comfortable, or we are afraid that God may do something and you would like him to love us but not to do anything. You follow me? And we play games with the Holy Spirit and the crisis is upon us and we are not ready. And Jesus says with amazing love, wake up, wake up. Take it seriously. Don't play games with your salvation. Remember the five foolish virgins. Wake up. Make God a priority. Don't look for, I don't know what, I want to baptize 3,000 people. Don't look for anything sensational. Look for relationship. Get to know your God. Let him transform you. He will do in you what you cannot. You don't need to understand. You don't need to deserve. You just need to be connected. He is able. And he promised to finish what he started. You can trust him. But act on it. Don't live today and do the same. Act on it. If you really love Jesus, otherwise you lose time going to church. Like Pharisees. You fool yourself. Well, if I eat off, I go to church, I'm okay. No, you are not. God wants us to take another step and make him a priority. God calls you personally when you go home not to do the same business as usual. Make him a priority. Pray. Fix the altar. Elijah when he brought the nation back to God, he fixed the altar. Malachi says that in the last days, Elijah is going to come back and he's going to turn the parents to children and children to parents. Fix the family altar. Ellen White says, when the family altar is fixed, God is going to change, revive, save that family. Oops. The power came. Fix the altar. Get your children around you morning and evening and pray. If they have... If they are adults, gone, moved, married, pray for them every morning. Ellen White says, it's the duty of the parents to pray for the children, ask God's blessing and protection and the baptism of the Holy Spirit over the children. Pray for your children. You follow me? Pray for your church. Don't judge the church. You know who is the church? It's not the institution, it's not the conference, it's not the building. It's the people. When you judge the church, you say that you are evil. Because if you are a godly person, you love the church and you pray for the church and you help the church. When you judge the church, you are sick. We need to pray for you. Pray for the church. Pray for the pastor. Pray for the conference. Pray. Pray for the neighbors. Ask God what to pray for and pray. And let him do more than you can plan or imagine. Wait upon the Lord. He's going to prepare you. It may take time. It took 40 years for Moses. But it was all worth. He's going to prepare you. He's going to use you. God can use anybody. If God used a donkey, he can use you and me. God can use stones. He can use you. God used two demoniacs to turn the whole city around. Am I right? He can use you. God used a prostitute to call a whole city to listen to him. He can use you. Am I right? Don't look to self. Don't look to problems. Don't look to the giants. Don't look to the walls of Jericho. Turn your eyes upon Jesus because he can do above and beyond. You can dream or imagine or pray for. But the key is to be connected. Abide in me. If you remain in me and I in you, 
you'll produce much fruit. It's so plain. May the Lord bless you tremendously as you implement these things. Don't do it for a day. Make it a lifetime. The breath of the soul. Until Jesus comes. Prayer should be a joy. To talk to God should be a blessing. Amen? Amen. May God bless you as you do these things. Let's finish with prayer. Lord, we thank you for how you have spoken to our hearts and our minds. We thank you for for Pastor Goya and his example of living a prayer-centered life and, and the example of his wife, as he shared, who so many times has encouraged him to look heavenward and to keep his eyes on Christ and to, to pray and to trust you. And Lord, we pray that you would instill in us, fill us with your spirit, fill us with, uh, give us a, a deeper prayer life, Lord. I pray for myself, Lord, draw me closer to you. You've reminded me, Lord, of the the incredible need for more time in prayer. We get so busy doing the work of the master that we don't spend enough time with the master of the work. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for that and draw us closer to you. Remind us of the commitments you have inspired us to make this weekend, that we may not go and forget, but Lord, that we may go and implement and do what you have instructed us to do. Father, we We have heard stories that have inspired us, that have uplifted our faith. And we know that that if we go from this place and leave thinking, wow, those were amazing stories, but they could never happen in my life, then we've missed the point. You want to work these miracles in our lives, in our churches, on our streets, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our towns. So Lord, please remind us of this and may we cling to your hand in faith. And Father, as we go and as we serve you, We pray the prayer of David in Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory because of your mercy and because of your truth. Lord, protect us as we go from here. And we pray that you would use us for your glory. And if we don't get to meet again this side of heaven, may none of us be missing on the day that Jesus comes. Not only us, but many others who are there because you've used us broken, simple vessels just willing to be used by you. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 May the Lord bless you all in a special way. And please, uh, actually, just before we go, how many of you are willing to say, I am willing to personally commit to praying for Pastor Pavel's continued ministry and for the Lord to heal his voice? Please raise your hand if you mean it and keep it up and ask the Lord to remind you to pray. Thank you so much. The Lord bless you and we will see you soon.